Please take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of 1 Peter. Chapter 5. Like I said, we're taking a break from the book of Romans. We've been studying the book of Romans now for a long time. In my own personal time with the Lord this week, I spent some time in the book of Micah. I want to just read a few verses to you that the Lord reminded me of as we were singing that previous song. And I think they dovetail well with what we celebrated together in the Lord's table and then in our worship. Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity, passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. He will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. We just sang the power of the cross. We stand forgiven. This world is a brutal place. It's an unforgiving place. Despite all the rhetoric that is out there, the world is an unforgiving place. The church of Jesus Christ is a place that focuses on the message of the cross, that there is forgiveness. Although we're not studying it today, I want us just to think about that, the power of the cross, my friend. If you don't know that your sin is forgiven, if you've been struggling with that, even in the singing or as the Holy Spirit bears testimony in your heart as we partake in the the Lord's table and, and you struggle with sin, you struggle with forgiveness, my friend, there is no God like this God, the one God, He is the God who pardons iniquity and passes over those trespasses that we have committed. He does so in the person of Jesus Christ. And you don't have to do anything. Only turn from your sin and turn to Him. Whosoever shall call in the name of the Lord shall be saved. That is the message we proclaim. That is central to who we are. That is a big, big central part of what we talk about today with what is our mission. It is taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to broken people like us that we might be saved. I want you to notice with me in 1 Peter chapter 5. Now last week we talked about purpose, we talked about mission. All of this, I hope, Lord willing, is a part of setting the stage for what we are talking about as we go through this text, and I hope I make that link clear to you week by week as we do this little mini-study. As we talk about the church, we're not only just talking about the big church out there, the universal church, we're talking about this church, we're talking about Emmanuel Bible Church, about what God has done here, what God is doing here, and what God wants to do in the future here. We want to build on strong foundations. 
And so it is important that we understand some of what God says about the church. Now, you have your own personal copy of the Scripture in front of you. I put these verses on the slides today. I don't often do this because I want you to look in yours, and I still want you to, but I'm going to refer to it on the slides because we're going to do a very cursory introductory look at this text today on several fronts and come back to it again over the next couple of weeks. But there are things I want us to begin to think about as we look at these verses and we look at relationship of words to words and what God is telling us in his word here. So this is the Apostle Peter, and he begins by saying, I am exhorting someone specific here. Now, in one sense, he's exhorting the entire church, but here in these verses, he is speaking, he is exhorting the elders who are among you. So we're going to draw an inference from that as we go through this, that if there were elders among them, then there are elders among us. Elders among you. As a, now notice he does not call himself an apostle, although he is one. Peter says, I am a fellow elder, and I am a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Peter gives no further context to that in this text, but I want us to think about how he witnessed the sufferings of Christ. Peter did not witness those sufferings from the vantage point of personal victory. He did so from the vantage point of what? Being a turncoat. Denying the Lord. The cock crowing. Going out and weeping bitter tears. Having to be restored. Peter is writing this and he's drawing attention in a very vulnerable way. Peter is being very authentic here. Peter is saying, I have not always been a stellar believer. I fell down. I denied the Lord. And so he's a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and he is an elder. Although he was a failure. But failure is not final. And he is restored. And then he says, I am a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Oh, what a day that will be. He tells the elders among the church, he says, I want you to do something. I want you to shepherd, notice that work, the flock of God that is among you. And this is the way you do that. You exercise oversight. And when you exercise oversight, he then gives some companion phrases that kind of contrast. They, they compare and contrast. He says, I want, you to, I, I want you to shepherd by exercising oversight. And I want you to do it not under compulsion. I want you to do it willingly. I don't, I, and that is the way God would have you to do it. He says, I don't want you to do it for the purpose of money. I want you to do it eagerly, zealously. And I don't want you to be domineering over those who are in your charge or are in your inheritance. That word charge there is actually a Greek word which means to inherit. He is not saying, he's drawing attention to the Old Testament and, and to the way the inheritances were given by lot. And so this word is actually the word a lot. He says, you drew a lot. 
And the lot that you drew is, is the one that you are then responsible for. And he says, I don't want you to be domineering over those people that you inherit from God and that you are a part of shepherding in his kingdom. I don't want you to domineer them. I want you to be an example. I want you to be an example to the flock. And then he says, and then when the chief shepherd, this is the ruling shepherd, that's the Lord Jesus, who is also the good shepherd, who gives his life for the sheep. When he appears, then you will receive something. You will receive an unfading crown of glory. And then he says, okay, now I'm going to talk to everybody. I just talked up here to the elders. Now I'm going to talk to everybody. He says, likewise, you who are younger, be in submission to the elders. And then he says, okay, now I'm going to talk to everybody, the elders as well. Not only am I talking to other people in the church, now I'm talking to the elders and to everybody. And he says, all of you put on a certain kind of garment. When you come to church, you think about, what am I going to wear? I hope you do. What am I going to wear? You know what we want to wear? This one. Put on the garment of humility. Put on the garment of humility towards each other for this is why God stands in opposition. He draws up in battle array. That is the word. He draws up in battle array against the proud. He declares war on pride. And he gives grace to those who wear that, to the humble. There are things that we need to consider in this text. Some of them we're going to do in just a very introductory way today. Over the next couple of weeks, we'll go deeper into some of the actual wording and some of the phrases that he has. But what I want us to do as we look at the book this morning is I want us to think about this indispensable quality for a minute. It is the quality of humility. When we talk about church government, we talk about structure, we talk about the way things are done. There's a lot of churches that do things a lot of ways different than we do. We're not saying they're good, they're bad, they're indifferent. But kind of the way we do it. We'll explain some of those things. There are things we need to grow in. There's things we need to do better. There are things we need to do more biblical. But when you think of all the different aspects of church government and church governance and all the different structures that are out there, I would suggest to you that many of them and many forms of them can work. Doesn't mean they're all biblical or they're all the best. But many of them can work if the people who are doing them are this. And I would also say that you can have the best and most biblical form of church governance. And if you have this, it will not work. This humility is indispensable. That is why he says to us, clothe yourselves in humility. 
I want to stress something to you. Whenever we think about church government and what we're doing, why we do it, how we do it, church government is not about how I can get my way in the church or how you can get your way in the church. Church government is a structure by which the Lord has given us the means to ensure that he gets his way in the church. It is not about how any person can get what they want. It is an attempt in a fallen world to have a system of checks and balance to help secure the Lord's will in his church. That's what it's all about. When we come to issues, when we come to things we want to do, we think the Lord wants us to do, whatever the case, however we want to verbiage that. We should never be asking, what do I want? Or saying that. Now, you'd never say that. We should be saying, always stressing, what does the Lord want? What does the Lord want? How are we going to know what the Lord wants? By his word and through his spirit. Those two ways. Mark them down. By his word and through his spirit. There are three synonyms for one office that appear in this text and appear in many other places. One is the word elder. One is a word to oversee, and one is the word pastor or shepherd. Man, that's really sloppy, sorry. Three synonyms for one office. Three descriptive terms. We'll develop them more in depth in another time. Elder, overseer, pastor. We see them all in that text. If we would think of a summary of the work of this elder, this overseer, pastor, if we would just put his work in one word, we would use the word oversight. That is what he does. And if we would say his qualification in one phrase, it would be maybe the word in 1 Timothy chapter 3, blameless, but we're going to take it in a bigger sense and say that really the qualification of an elder is he is a man who is spiritually mature. He is a man who has walked with the Lord long enough that he has matured in the Lord and he is balanced and he has perspective. When I went into the ministry, I started preaching when I was 19 years old. I'm now what, 56? I think. I was a lot of things when I was 19. A lot of them were dumb. But there's one thing I was not. I was not an elder. I was a preacher of the word. I was not an elder. God chose the word elder for a specific reason. It was in order to stress something. Age and maturity. There is nothing 
that hones a man's character like boneheaded decisions. Right? You make enough mistakes and you will learn or you will die. Experience is a great teacher. And along with the Word of God and along with the mentoring of other people, God brings us to spiritual maturity. Those are the men that a church wants to look to for the very things we are describing in 1 Peter chapter 5. They are the examples to the flock because they have walked with the Lord and they have come to a place of spiritual wisdom and maturity. So that's a look at the text. Now, let's think about these considerations. We're going to do this really quick. Okay, this is what we talked about last week and I want to remind us of it. Okay, what do we talk about? Does everyone understand our purpose? Why do I come to church? Remember, Glenn just mentioned checking that box. Is that why you do that? Thing to do on Sunday morning? What is church? What is our purpose? And then we also talked about what is our mission? The two are not exactly the same. The one is an outgrowth of the other. The purpose is the bigger thing. It is the why. Why are we here? The mission is what are we trying to accomplish? What is it we are trying to do? Now, when we think about those two things, you know, what, what do we say? So, what is our purpose? What is our mission? What is our aim? The goal of all that God does. Everything that God does. Everything that God does, He does to display His glory. Now, we're not going to take the time to demonstrate that from Scripture because I don't got the time to do it today, but we did it a little bit last week. But the Scripture is full of this message. My glory I will not share with another, he says. Everything that God does, he does to display his glory. So what is our purpose? It is we are here for God and his glory for no other reason. That is our purpose. Talked about it again with the Westminster Catechism. Does the Westminster Catechism say, What is the chief end of mankind? Of which the church would be a subset. What is our chief end? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Why are we here? What is our purpose? It is for God and His glory. We must understand that. What is our aim? What is our mission? If you don't know what you're aiming at, you have no idea if you've hit it. So what are we trying to do? What are we trying to accomplish for God's glory? What is the mission of the church on a strategic level? It is building people for the glory of God. It's not building buildings. It's not raising money. It's not doing this, doing that. All those things are a means to an end. The, perp or the mission is to build people in Christ for His glory. Tactical level, every ministry then has a specific situational goal. And what we talked about last week is the fact that the burden of responsibility lies on each of us individually to accomplish this mission. I want you to think about that. Our mission is dependent on each of us individually fighting that battle and accomplishing that aim. 
that we are seeking for the glory of God to build people into the image of Christ. The glory of His kingdom. Now, in order to accomplish this mission, the ascended Lord outfitted each member of His body with a gift. We studied them in Romans chapter 12 and other places in our study in the book of Romans We're not going to go back and talk about gifts that much today, but I think it suffices us to say that in order for this mission to be fulfilled, God gave you an ability that he wants to use for his glory, and he expects you to employ in the accomplishment of this work. To fulfill this mission, then, the Lord has given us his spirit And that spirit gifts and empowers each member of the body to do the work that God has called us to do. You may be a big toe. You may be a big tongue. But each member of the body has a part that we play in the fulfillment of this work. And he has given us the spirit to equip, to enable us to accomplish this. And then he ordained a structure of organization with which to create order in his church. In Ephesians chapter 4, it talks about how the Lord ascended on high. And when he ascended on high, when he returns to the Father in triumph, not in defeat, in triumph he gives gifts to men and it tells us there in Ephesians chapter 4 that when he does that he personally the Lord Jesus gave some to be apostles some to be prophets some to be evangelists some to be pastors and teachers now we're not going to go through each one of those gifts but that relates to what we're talking about the apostles and the prophets are foundational gifts who during the apostolic age receive inspired messages from God and record them in Scripture. So we have an inscripturated message from God to guide us. He gave evangelists who are like church planners, and he gave pastors and teachers who are these elders who are in the church who are doing a specific work for the church. And what are they doing? These men are given this responsibility, the training of the saints in the work of ministry to what was our mission? It is to build people for the glory of God. And so what's the work? To build up the body until we all reach the unity of the faith in the knowledge of God's Son into a mature man with a stature measured by Christ's fullness So we are not to be children anymore. We're to grow up. We're to be built up. We're not just to be little children in the faith forever. Children who are tossed by waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. Speaking truth and love. Let us grow in every way into Him who is the head And he is Christ. And from him the whole body is fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament and it promotes the growth of the body for what? 
building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. And so what is our mission? Our mission is to build people for the glory of God. And we see that in these verses so well pronounced. And so he gives, and I want you to notice with me, he gives these uh, pastor teachers who have a work that they are doing in oversight, and that work is the training of the saints. And the training of the saints results in those saints doing the work of ministry, and as the saints are doing the work of service, the church is being built up. And so that reminds us again that we are individually responsible. It's not just elders and pastors and overseers who do the work of ministry. It's not just elders who go and see someone in the hospital when they're sick. It's a small group leader. It's not just elders who sit down with a young kid who is studying and growing and and wants to know what it means to be born again. It's faithful Awana leaders who sit down with that child and share with them the gospel and what they need to do to be saved. It's each individual. It's on the job. God puts us in the community for a reason. It's on the pickleball court. Oh, there too. It's at the restaurant. As we interact, as we talk in the foyer. What I want us to think about as we think about these things is it is disciples who make disciples. A disciple is a follower. We are followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus called out people to himself when he was walking on earth. He said, come follow me. Come be my disciple. And then he says to them, he says to Peter, follow me and I will make you to be a fisher of men. It is disciples who make disciples and we do so in relationship with one another. Talked about that a little bit in announcements, didn't we, when I was talking with Glenn? Sunday morning's great. I'm glad you're here. I'm always glad to come in here and preach to a full house. I like that. I like seeing all your faces. But it's not good enough. You need more, you need each other. You need to invite each other over to meals. I hear people doing that. I hear people in this congregation who are tremendous about reaching out to newcomers, saying, why don't you come over to my house and we'll have pie and ice cream and get to know each other. It's in relationship. Now, like we said, there are various ways that you can build relationships of people that are in this place. You can do it in a small group, and I encourage you to. But like I said, it doesn't work for every individual. It doesn't work in every household. Maybe there's something else that you need. Sunday school, there's, there's a Wana club. You can come and help in a Wana club. I guarantee Dave Ruthart will never turn you away. Disciples make disciples. It doesn't happen 
by sitting on your duff and watching TV or YouTube and thinking that calls it church. That may help you, it may feed you, and there's times it's essential. But it don't get at what we're talking about. We need other people. You know why we need each other? Because we're all a mess. All of us. And it says we deal with other people who are a mess that we deal with our mess. Right? What's the easy thing to do? Oh, everybody else is a mess, so I'm just going to quit going to that church. Oh, they just hurt my feelings. You know, whatever. Get over it. You're a mess too. Right? You're a mess too. So am I. I am so grateful. You know one of the great benefits for having a long ministry? Because people have to put up with you for a long time. Right? I've done some really boneheaded things here. And you have forgiven me. You kept me on. You let me grow. You've let me mature. We need each other. Why? Because we're dumb. Because we annoy each other. And through those relationships, we learn what real love is. And how Christ would have us deal with each other. To deal with not always getting my way. To deal with not always singing songs I like. To deal with this and to deal with that. That is where we grow. Don't run from it. Don't run from that. I have learned that is such a strong, important part of spiritual growth is learning to embrace the difficulty and not run from it. In Acts chapter 2, verse 41, he says, so those who accepted his message were baptized. That day about 3,000 people were added to them. That's a big church. And they were devoting themselves, these 3,000 people are devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, breaking of bread, prayer. That's the nuts and bolts. Now, I want you to notice this. We're going to go back to the book of Romans, but Paul says something very intriguing here in the book of Romans. Paul says to this church, I am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you are full of goodness, you are filled with knowledge, and you are able to instruct one another. Apostle Paul did not lead every small group in the church at Rome. He trusted that there were people who had been taught and who were trained, who were imperfect and were going to do some things that he wished they had not done. But he had complete confidence. He was completely satisfied that those people in that church had been filled with the Spirit in a way that they had the knowledge they needed to be able to instruct one another. I am confident in you. I am confident in you. Does that mean that you're not going to mess up at times? No, it don't. Just like I mess up at times. But I am confident that you have the knowledge you need in the Word of God to fulfill this work, 
this mission that God has given us. And so we need to be about it. God has given us a work to do for his glory. God desires to build up this church for his glory into the image of Christ. The work that we are called to do is to build people. So let's be busy doing it. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this day that we could gather in the name of Christ. Lord, as we think on these things, as we discuss them over the next couple of weeks and we go a little bit deeper, I pray that you would continue to help us to understand these formative concepts to how you have structured things in your church. I pray that, Lord, you would help us to be clothed in the garment of humility. Lord, forgive us for our pride. You know that we are proud. And so we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.